fantastic. And I study movies. I've been studying movies for over 20 years. Uh, so I study movies. And then I've done some background research on the film Black Panther also. Okay. So uh, I ordered the uh, Marvel companion to the film Black Panther. It is a, uh, it's a called, uh, it's a 200 page comic book. It's a 200 page bar book. It's a hardcover from Marvel, put out by DK Publishing, and it's uh, called the uh, Ultimate Black Panther Guide, I think it's called, the Ultimate Black Panther Guide, okay? So, I've ordered that, and I've been studying that also. Now, at our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, we have a uh, video, it's about a seven-minute video, that deals with background information about the film Black Panther also. So to really understand the film Black Panther, you have to understand the Black Panther comic book. Okay, because I hear I've seen a lot of comments on social media about the film. And I, I can tell these are people who don't understand the comic book. To understand the Black Panther movie, to understand Eric Killmonger, to understand Everett K. Ross, to understand Umbaku and the Jabari people, understand that history you have to understand the Black Panther comic book, okay? So uh, they deal with all that back, that background information in the Marvel uh, super, uh, the uh, Marvel Ultimate Black Panther Guide. Okay, it's 200 pages. It's fantastic. So I encourage you to get that. You can try Nandy's Knowledge Cafe. See if Nandy can get it for you uh, over at 71 Oakman Avenue. Um, I got mine from uh, Amazon because I needed it right away because of the, the presentations that I'm doing. All right, so we'll talk uh, uh, some about that and get deep into Black Panther. Then there's an article from um, AtlantaBlackStar.com about Black Panther. Not a myth after all. Not a myth after all. The truth behind the real life inspiration for Black Panther's Wakanda. Not a myth after all. The truth behind the real life inspiration for Black Panther's Wakanda. Okay, so that's an excellent article. We'll talk about that uh, as well. So you know, last week now, last week's show is on audio podcast. Our audio podcasts are available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Our audio podcasts are there, so you can check that out. Okay. And, um, you know, last week we talked about the film Black Panther, and we dealt with um, how a lot of people, you have a lot of Negro naysayers, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, a lot of Negro naysayers out there about the film. And you look at their lives, you look at their conditions, their conditions usually reflect their state of mind, you know, and we, we just need to be honest, right? There's a group of Negroes out there, there's a group of black people, black with a little b. There's a group of black people out there that don't want to see other black people happy unless they're responsible for it. There's a, there's a, there's a group of black people. There's not a whole lot of them. It may be 2%, 3%, 5%. But there's a group out there that don't want to see other black people happy under any circumstances unless they are responsible for it. Right? These are the Negro naysayers. So when you look at the, uh, the video that I put in, it's on YouTube. It's on our Facebook fan page. I talked about how people are hating on the film and they're saying, you know, because there was this big meme uh, on Facebook, circulating on Facebook and it talked about millions of dollars made for the film, Black Panther, zero dollars, went to the black community. That's an absolute lie. I talked about it last week. Now, maybe you didn't position yourself to capture any of that money. 
But that's an absolute lie. So then we find out this week, right? We find out that Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry's new studios, a lot of the film Black Panther was filmed at Tyler Perry's new studios in Atlanta. He's black last time I checked. He's African American last time I checked. I don't think he let them film there for free. I think he made some money. Black Panther was the first movie filmed at Tyler Perry Studios New Stages. This is from Atlanta Journal uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution.com, AJC.com. Atlanta Journal Constitution.com. Right? So we'll, we'll talk some about that because you had African Americans who made money off the film. When I was uh, at the, uh, this past Thursday, I was at the Sacred Heart uh, Activity Center. And y'all see me right now with my Black Panther shirt on. You got the whole, this is the, the whole cast. I bought this from an African-American vendor. Make sure they get this on the, on the big screen up there. This is the Black Panther, Wakanda forever. Okay, I'm representing. I bought two Black Panther t-shirts from two different African-American vendors. One of them was my man Khalil, who I met down at Wayne State 20 years ago. I bought another Black Panther shirt from him. Okay? So, and then I bought a print that's hanging up in my office, so when I broadcast from my office, Facebook Live, you'll see the print of the of the Black Panther cast behind me. I bought that from an African-American vendor also. Okay? So there are African-Americans making money off of this film. You may not be, but there are African-Americans making money off this film. So we find out this past week, and we posted it on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, where we have one million followers, that a lot of the film was filmed at Tyler Perry Studios. This is an African-American man. We can say what we want to about his Medea movies, but he's doing something that most people can't do. I, I disagree with a lot of the Medea movies and dressing up in a dress, things like this. But all of his movies don't have Medea in them. You know, uh, Why Did I Get Married 1 and 2 didn't have Medea. Daddy's Little Girls didn't have Medea. But this brother owns a studio. So a lot of the Negro naysayers on Facebook can't say nothing because they don't own anything. And a large portion of the film Black Panther was filmed at this African-American man's studios. A lot of people don't know this. Read this article from Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Black Panther was the first movie filmed at Tyler Perry's uh, Tyler Perry New Studios, um, new, new Stages. Black Panther was the first movie filmed at Tyler Perry Studios' New Stages. Black Panther, which had a four-day weekend haul of $235 million, was filmed mostly in metro Atlanta, but did you know Tyler Perry had a hand in the production? The filmmaker recently took to social media. He posted on his Instagram page about this. I went to his Instagram page and saw this. Okay? He has no need to lie because it's easy for people to say, wait a second, no, we weren't there. This is true. Not only that, the film, as we talked about last week, injected $84 million into Georgia's economy. A lot of African Americans benefited from this. Right? But you got Negroes who don't want to talk about this. See, once again, you got a certain segment of the population, African-American population, they don't want to see other African-Americans happy unless they're responsible for it. So they want you to be as depressed as they are. That way their life doesn't seem as screwed up. They want you to be as depressed as they are. That way their life does not seem as screwed up as it actually is. So check out this article. This is powerful right here. Right? So we need to thank Tyler Perry for this. And now, I, like I said, I disagree with dressing up as a woman. I disagree with some of his movies. I've seen most of Tyler Perry's movies, right? But when somebody does something good, we need to congratulate them. See, now here's the thing. If we, if we talk about something negative that somebody keeps doing, right, 
then they do something good, we should talk about the good just like we talk about the negative. If we chastise them for dressing up in the dress, if we chastise them for some Negro buffoonery, or what some people may call Negro buffoonery, in some of the movies, not all of them, then when he does something good like this, we need to talk about that as well. See, I'm fair. I'm equal opportunity. I'm fair. So you have that going on as well. Then we see an article. We're going to get into this. This is really good. ScreenRant.com. ScreenRant.com had an article from uh, February 20th. Every Black Panther character returning in Avengers Infinity War, which comes out May 4th, 2018, is going to be on and popping. I'm telling you, the Black Panther is going all throughout the summer. Because now, when you go see the film Black Panther, and I may go see it again tomorrow. I may go see it again tomorrow, right? Because today was my daughter's first birthday. So we had a little birthday party for her. I think a mother went a little overboard. I think a mother was happier than, than my daughter was, right? <laughs> and my daughter had fairy wings and <laughs> a bunch of stuff, right? Unless she's only one years old. She's not going to remember this, okay? <laughs> but, you know, I borrowed a Black Panther, the Golden Books. If you want to get some for your children, Golden Books. Remember the Golden Books when we were a kid? Little engine that could and Dumbo and th things like this, Little Red Riding Hood. Golden Books has a Black Panther book for children, okay? It's about $4 on Amazon. Okay, so I ordered that for her. I gave that to, to her today. Okay, and she liked it for a couple minutes. Then she went back to beating on the, the djembe drum, right? <laughs> I read it to her. She liked it for a while. So, um, Golden Books has his book here. Now, when you go see the film Black Panther, you have to sit all the way to the end till the screen goes black after they flash on the screen the Black Panther will be seen uh, in May in Avengers Infinity War. Because there are two extra scenes, okay? Um, and the um, when I went to go see the film the first time, I missed those two extra scenes. No, no, actually, I saw the first scene with the Winter Soldier. I missed the second scene with the three little kids. You got to stay all the way to the end. This is how Marvel movies are. If you haven't been to a Marvel movie, this is how they do you. You have to stay all the way to the end. Cause you, and, 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 and there were a bunch of people walking out, right? Because they thought it was the end of the movie, and they missed the two additional scenes. When they found out, probably when they got home, they were pissed. They had to go back and watch it. They had to go back and pay and watch it again. All right? So, this coming May, most of the... Uh, Characters, including Angela Bassett's character, Ramonda, they're going to be in Avengers Infinity War. All right? So, and, and that's that largely takes place in Wakanda. That's fantastic. Now, last week I talked about how the word Wakanda is a Native American word. It's in the Sioux, Sioux Indian language. It's also in the Omaha Ponca language. You've got a water park in, water park in Wisconsin called Wakanda. Okay? Now, I suspected it was in the African language as well. So I found out this week it's also in the Bantu language. Bantu is also spoken in the Congo. But the Bantu language, and this related to uh, the word Rwanda, which is a country, uh, Uganda, and Buganda. So Wakanda is also an African word in the Bantu language as well. All right, stay tuned. Hey, everybody watching on Facebook, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is the African History Network Show. I'm Michael M. Hotel, 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Future Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Are you an African-American business owner? 
Well, you want to have your business listed at Afroganics.co. Afroganics is a multi-vendor e-commerce platform that allows customers to purchase items, book services, make appointments, make reservations at restaurants, order groceries, and so much more. Featuring more than 200 categories, Afroganics will showcase African-American businesses of all types. Afroganics launches in April of 2018 for customers, but business owners can register right now at Afroganics.co. That's Afroganix.co. If you register now, your store will be free until July 2018. Plus, Afroganix takes absolutely no commissions ever. Afroganix is committed to building a virtual Black Wall Street. Visit Afroganix.co today. Hello there, Afro Nation. We're sure that many of you make purchases online, but it's painfully obvious there aren't that many platforms just for black-owned businesses out there. How many of you buy products online? Have you ever put in a food order for pickup or delivery? What about making a reservation at a restaurant? Lastly, how many of you book appointments online? Well, on Afroganics, you'll be able to buy products, put in orders for pickup or delivery, book appointments, make reservations, and so much more. You'll be able to find black-owned businesses locally and nationally by name, city, state, zip code, or the 200 plus categories that we have. We really mean business when we say we want to create a virtual Black Wall Street within each black community across the nation. We look forward to seeing you buying black on Afroganics when we launch for customers April 2018. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. The new documentary, 1804, The Hidden History of Haiti, is available right now at africanhistorynetwork.com. 1804 goes in depth about the four principal players who were instrumental in Haiti's independence. They were Mackendall, Duddy Bookman, Toussaint L'Overture, and Jean-Jacques Dessalines. This documentary gives a compelling look into the strategies, the motivation, and the mindset that led to Haiti being the only slave population who successfully overthrew their oppressors. Featured in the documentary 1804 are Dr. Leonard Jeffries, Professor James Small, Professor Kabahiawatha Kamene, Dr. Wade Nobles, Wycliffe John, and many more. The documentary is available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's from director Tariq Nasheed, creator of the Hidden Color series, also available at, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. 
our other documentaries, including the Black Friday series featuring Michael M. Hotep, Elementary Genocide, and Michael M. Hotep is featured in Elementary Genocide Part 3, Resurrecting Black Wall Street, The Blueprint, and many others, all available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Place your orders today. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. We are live tonight. It is Sunday, February 25th, 2018. It's still African American History Month. It's still going on, but we study our history year-round, okay? All right, so those watching on Facebook, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Also, we're back from the break. We're back from the break. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Um, people are commenting on my shirt. They like my shirt. It's a Black Panther shirt. Uh, it has the cast of Black Panther. And um, I've got a, I bought a second Black Panther shirt also from Brother Khalil. i got to find out where to get this one from. If you all want this shirt, those watching on Facebook, inbox me. I'll see where, where uh, I'll see how I can track down the brother uh, for you all to get this shirt. I may start selling them myself, to tell you the truth. <laughs> All right, so then we saw this week, right? We saw the people retaliating finally against the NRA, the National Rifle Association. More companies are cutting ties with the NRA each day after customer backlash behind the Parkland, Florida school shooting. These people are calling these companies threatening to boycott them, asking them to cut their ties with the NRA. They're talking about redistributing the pain. They're talking about redistributing the pain. Now, this is what I've been talking about when I deal with talk about economic guerrilla warfare and the three main principles of economic guerrilla warfare are redistribute, redirect, and renegotiate. Redistribute the pain of those inflicting pain upon us through targeted, sustained economic withdrawal strategies and strategies around withdrawing our economic support from various companies. So what they're doing is they're calling these companies, putting pressure on them, and they're cutting ties with them. We saw Delta Airlines and United cut ties with them, MetLife. A number of corporations have been cutting ties with the NRA just over the past few days. This is something, it's something different this time. This is exploding. Now, African Americans across the country that have been fighting for common sense gun laws, have been fighting against the gun violence in their communities and school shootings and things like this, they need to take their fight to their state capitol just like they did this past, I guess it was Thursday or Friday, like they did in Florida. They took the fight to their state capitol. All across the country, they need to be doing this because people are mobilizing. And the, and the way to get your issues heard is to mobilize and push and take that fight to the state's capital. The state's capital is where those state laws are written and passed and put, in, and put into law. 19, can I have a name? And then you have uh, Dumb Donald, right? You got Dumb Donald, the philanderer-in-chief, Cadet Bone Spurs. So this past week, this guy advocates for 10 to 40% of teachers in schools across the country that had concealed weapons permits and he also talks about having them having the guns on them them having the guns on them so that if somebody comes in with an AR-15 and they have on Kevlar and usually these people want to commit suicide then 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 Miss McGillicuddy the lunch lady or the janitor or the algebra teacher 
is going to stop them with a 40 caliber Glock. I don't think this guy's ever been shot at. I don't think this guy's ever been under fire. Just because you can hit a target, a paper target on a gun range, whether it's still or moving, is different than you being under fire and somebody trying to kill you. Well, studies show that in gunfights, trained officers have an 18% hit rate. So why is this jackass trying to get teachers to have guns to shoot uh, mentally ill people and shoot people who are coming in with assault rifles trying to kill people? This doesn't even make sense. We saw what happened. The, the, the news came out that you had uh, four law enforcement, right, who were there on the scene outside the school and didn't go in. And they're trained. And you want somebody who's a teacher to take a three-day course in how to shoot a gun, and you think they're going to stop somebody coming in and try to kill the kids with an assault rifle or multiple guns. Donald Trump is stuck on stupid. So there's been a whole lot of backlash against this because teachers are saying, look, we don't want to carry a gun. But the other thing that people are not talking about, News1.com had an article about this. Why arming teachers and police at schools is the last thing black students need. Most people aren't talking about this. Joanne Reed talked about this on AM Joy. But in all these conversations I've been hearing in national media, very few people are talking about how this will negatively impact African-American students who are disproportionately disciplined as it is now, disproportionately suspended as it is now. And you're going to give teachers, you're going to give some white teachers guns? You're out of your mind. But we already knew Trump was out of his mind. See, Trump says the dumbest things when Mueller is closing in on him. We saw, indict we saw, indict we saw more indictments this past week. We saw one guy we never even heard of, who's the father, who, who's the son-in-law to a Russian oligarch that has close ties to uh, uh, Vladimir Putin. Now, what you're going to find that a lot of this is about, and I've been following this, this is one of the things that Mueller is investigating, is money laundering. Money laundering has been going on for years. It ain't just Paul Manafort, who was the campaign chair. It's not just Rick Gates, who was the deputy campaign chair, who just pleaded guilty, and he flipped. He's going to be a witness. Rick Gates, uh-oh, Trump is sweating bullets. I'm telling you, I think there are going to be some more indictments coming this week. Why? Because when Mueller indicted those 13 Russians, and people were saying the U.S. doesn't have an extradition uh, uh, agreement or treaty with uh, Russia. So most likely these Russians that were indicted will never see the inside of a U.S. courtroom. That's the pretext because he's going to indict some Americans who are working with the Russians. That's the next thing. We already saw these indictments that came, these additional indictments that came this past week. People didn't even expect that to happen. I think this week or the following week, you're going to see some more. You're going to see some Americans indicted. So Trump keeps saying no collusion, no collusion. Trump never says no money laundering. What did Stephen K. Bannon tell, what did Stephen K. Bannon tell uh, uh, Michael Wolff, who wrote the book Fire and Fury? Stephen K. Bannon talked about money laundering. And that's one of the things Michael Wolff talks about in his book. Now you wonder why? Jared Kushner has been in his position for a year 
and he can't get he can't clear an FBI background check because there's something in his background that the FBI can't clear him of. That's why. There's some something. There's probably multiple things in his background. They can't clear him of. And this is the uh, uh, Trump's son-in-law, right? So, who is the largest creditor to Donald Trump? Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank is the largest creditor to Donald Trump. He owes them about $300 million. Well, just a few years ago, Deutsche Bank got fined by the U.S. government about $600 million for laundering $10 billion in money from Russia. Go research that. I ain't making this up. Go research that. Then we found out late last year something we didn't know about Jared. He went to Jared. We found out something late last year we didn't know about Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner owes Deutsche Bank about $285 million. Wait a second. You got the president and you got Jared Kushner who's over like five, six, seven things, peace in the Middle East, all this stuff. He was over opioids. He was over all this stuff, right? He's not getting a salary. He's over all this stuff. He can't pass a FBI background check. Hell, I passed the FBI background check when I was applying to be an in-home tutor back in 2012. They had to do an FBI background check on me, fingerprint me, uh, uh, urine test for drugs. Oh, I passed the FBI background check. Jared Kushner can't pass an FBI background check. You got these idiots up in the White House. I guarantee you, Trump can't pass the FBI background check. But as president, he doesn't have to pass one. I think that needs to be changed. After this, I think that needs to be changed. So then, all of a sudden, Trump fires the remaining U.S. attorneys. There's about 45 of them. You have one U.S. attorney who was in, uh, one U.S. attorney in, uh, um, Manhattan, named Preet Bharara. Preet Bharara said, wait a second, that doesn't apply to me. He asked me to stay on. November 30th, 2016. November 30th, 2016, Donald Trump meets with Preet Bharara. He has Preet Bharara come to Trump Towers and meets with him and says he wants him to stay on. But he fired Preet Bharara also. And then they dragged their feet to interview people and to fill these positions for the 99 U.S. attorneys that Trump fired. Well, wait a second. When you research this, one of the things Preet Bharara was investigating were possible crimes that Deutsche Bank committed in Preet Bharara's district, which is in Manhattan, which just happens to be where Trump Towers is. And Preet Bharara gets fired after meeting with Trump November 30th, 2016, and Trump asked him to stay on. And, and, and Deutsche Bank is the largest creditor to Donald Trump. And Jared Kushner owes Deutsche Bank $285 million. And Deutsche Bank got popped uh, just a few years ago by laundering $10 billion in money from Russia. And you think this is all a coincidence. Yeah, right. You think this is all a coincidence. You haven't been paying attention to what the hell's been going on. If you think this is all a coincidence. Every turn you go to at the center of it is somebody rushing. And you think this is just a coincidence. You got 150 coincidences, and you don't think none of this is connected. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're you going to find out what this is all about. Michael Wolf and, and, and Bannon know. And then we found out Bannon was interviewed by Mueller for 20 hours. Trump is scared to death. And he should be.
because this is a case of the chickens coming right back home to roost. Trump should be scared. 313-778-7600 is the calling number. Let's go to Harry. Hey, Harry, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding, my man. Tell us where you're calling from. Just calling to uh, say, um, yeah, it's real nice you giving credit to the movie Panther. I think it's a great movie. Black Panther. Um, yes, sir. And uh, I also think I appreciate you giving credit to whoever's running this uh, this campaign against the NRA. Mm -hmm. um, we need to find out who's doing marketing. They have successfully in less than two weeks. They are boycotting manufacturers and advertisers and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. Can we, after, I want to know who's running it because, you know, we couldn't get that together for a Flint or a Colin Kaepernick or anything. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't, we were sitting up talking about if we were going to watch the game or not. And they just <laughs> people out of business. Right. So dropping people's stock prices down. Mm -hmm. So if little kids running it, it was on TV. I mean, somebody needs to find out who is coordinating the campaign because obviously they we need to get them to you know fight for Flint and get Colin a job or whatever else we worry about. Fight for Flint, Michigan. Well, first thing you can do check out this article from NBCNews.com. NBCNews.com. I'm about to get into it. More companies cut ties with the NRA after customer backlash. More companies cut ties with the NRA after a uh, company backlash, okay? Check it, uh, check out that article, and um, uh, we can track it down from there. But what, what it is, is uh, people across the country are calling these companies because they're furious. So what, what happened was an article was put out showing the corporations that have ties to the NRA, and they're giving discounts to um, uh, NRA members, okay? And it blew up from there. It blew up from there. And seeing these children uh, on TV, it blew up from there. Okay? So um, this is what's taking place, man, in this time. Now, we can learn from this. African Americans can learn from this. Okay? And we've done things like this before. Back in 2014, people need to go research this. The Root.com had an article about this. I deal with this in my presentations. Okay? Back in uh, 2014, November or December, when the TV show uh, Sorority uh, Sisters was on. Okay, I think it's called Sorority Sisters on VH1. It was a reality show, and it negatively uh, depicted African-American sororities, right? You had African-American organizations that put pressure on advertisers to with, uh, withdraw their ads from the show, and uh, 19 advertisers withdrew their ads from that TV show, and that show was put on the shelf, and you ever heard anything else about it. We, there, there are examples of African Americans fighting back with economic withdrawal. Many of us don't know that these examples took place. So when the issue happens, we don't understand how to organize because we don't understand how we dealt with this problem in the past. There's some recent examples of us, of us using economic withdrawal strategies and putting pressure on corporations to withdraw their ads from TV shows. We don't, we don't know that we had those victories, though. Yeah, that would be nice. I just, you know, this stuff like Flint is just, you know, it's a constant aggravation. And right. There's so many different things. That's just like what comes to mind first. But well, I told them what to do in Flint. People didn't want to listen, man. They wanted to have a recall. You can have a recall, but you trying to re you trying to recall a two-term Republican governor 
is you have a slim and none chance. But if we had targeted sustained economic withdrawal strategies, if you want to do a recall, that's fine. But you got to have targeted sustained economic withdrawal strategies and, 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 and take your campaign nationwide. You could have had people nationwide targeting certain banks. Okay? Michael. Yeah. Michael. Mm hmm. Right, you couldn't wait to get to the auto show and find out how we could borrow $50,000. Oh, I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding, brother, because because when you look at, no, when you look at, uh, see, see, people, one of the most important things that we need to look at are success stories of when people fight back with different economic withdrawal strategies. So if we look at why Bill O'Reilly's highly rated TV show, The O'Reilly Factor, is not on Fox News anymore. It's because organizations like colorofchange.org got about 375,000 uh, online signatures for a petition, and they, put, and they and other organizations put pressure, they put pressure on advertisers, and 80 advertisers, people need to listen to this, 80 advertisers, white-owned companies, withdrew their economic support, their advertising dollars, from Bill O'Reilly's highly rated show. He had the number one cable news show for about 13 years. And he's not on the air anymore. They, they focused on redistributing the pain. But many of us don't understand what happened there. We don't understand that victory. So we don't understand how to use that strategy the next time we have a problem. Okay? See, a people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet the needs of the community. A people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet the needs of the community. So read this article from uh, Huffington Post Black Voices. See, I'm dealing with documented cases. I'm not dealing with theory. I can show you what actually happened. I can show you documented cases. April 20th, 2017, Huffington Post Black Voices posted this article by Zahara Hill. This black org, O-R-G, helped oust Bill O'Reilly by hitting Fox where it hurts. This is redistributing the pain. This black org helped oust Bill O'Reilly by hitting Fox where it hurts. In the article, it says, when Fox News failed to hold former anchor Bill O'Reilly accountable for his prejudicial banter on the network, Color of Change, C-O-C, colorofchange.org, a racial justice advocacy group decided to organize against Bill O'Reilly and his platform. The organization, which dedicates itself to issues of racial inequality, took issue with O'Reilly's ongoing race baiting, particularly a 2006 broadcast in which he claimed he was attacked during the L.A. riots. When O'Reilly's story about the L.A. riots was reputed by, his, by, by several of his former colleagues in 2015, Color of Change began an advertising boycott that, uh, th that March, March of 2015, urging companies to pull ads airing during the O'Reilly factor. Now, it took them two years to get his show off the air. But what happened, is, what happened was when Bill O'Reilly made the mistake of going after Maxine Waters, Auntie Maxine, oh, things escalated. And then the New York Times came out with that bombshell article 
about how Bill O'Reilly and Fox News paid $13 million to settle sexual harassment lawsuits by five women. And it was all downhill from there. The campaign, which fluctuated in momentum throughout its first two years, gained traction after Bill O'Reilly inappropriately remarked uh, that Congresswoman Maxine Waters' hair looked like a wig that the late James Brown would sport. But months prior to O'Reilly's comments on Maxine Waters, a wave of allegations that he sexually harassed former Fox employees began to make headlines. After these allegations were made public, a former African-American Fox employee came forward alleging that Bill O'Reilly would grunt at her like a wild boar, quote-unquote, and addressed her as hot chocolate. you got to read this article. They redistributed the pain. And Bill O'Reilly's not on the air anymore. He's doing a podcast that you got to pay like $9.99 a month to listen to, something like that. I'm telling you, we have examples of us redistributing, but recent examples. This is why you have to study this, okay? Because then we can see how to fight things now based upon what we've done recently and how they organized, how they did it. When you look at what's taking place right now, with the NRA, and we'll go back to the Black Panther in just a minute. You can give us a call, 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number. Those watching on Facebook, I'm going to post this article here on the thread of the broadcast here on Facebook. All right? I have to, see, I have, a, I have a whole presentation that I've done called um, Redistributing the Pain, Redistributing the Pain, How African Americans Historically fought back with economic boycotts. We have that available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's called Redistributing the Pain, How African-Americans Historically Fought Back with Economic Boycotts. And I'll show you historical examples of us fighting back with economic withdrawal strategies. So if we look at, let's go to, uh, let's go back to Black Panther for a minute. I want to get this other article in here before the break, and then we'll come back to the NRA, all right? And uh, you all could give us a call if you have a question or comment, 313-778-7600, right? So I was talking about the film Black Panther, and Forbes.com uh, has an article how it's done $700 million worldwide so far, but there's an article from ScreenRant.com, okay? It's entitled, Every Black Every Black Panther character returning in Avengers Infinity War, which comes out May 4th, 2018. All right? And this is very important because we're going to be able, we'll have the attention of our youth when this film comes out again because the Black Panther returns in May. Okay? So, uh, T'Challa is returning for Avengers Infinity War. But he's not the only character from Black Panther appearing in the 2018 team-up film. Anthony and Joe Russo's Avengers 3, Infinity War, culminates in the past, culminates the past 10 years of storytelling and marks the beginning of the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first saga. So naturally, virtually every major character that's appeared in any one of, of, of the Marvel Comic Universe's 18 movies thus far are slated to return for the film, including quite a few people from the Black Panther. So this Infinity War, they're going to have everybody in there. Apparently Iron Man and Doctor Strange and Ant-Man's going to be in there, the Hulk, the Thor, T'Challa. You got Shuri in there. You got Ramonda Angela Bass's character. So everybody's going to be in this. comes out May 4th. 
All right, this is going to be powerful. First off, Chadwick Boseman is definitely reprising his role as T'Challa, a.k.a. the Black Panther, for Avengers Infinity War. As one of the most important characters in the Marvel Comics universe, Black Panther plays an integral role in Avengers 3, especially with regard to Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldiers, their story. It will be Chadwick Boseman's third time playing the superhero, the Black Panther, after making his first appearance as T'Challa in um, Rousseau and Joe Rousseau's Captain America Civil War in 2016, and then reprising his role as the Black Panther this month, debuted February 2016, February 16, 2018, let's just say. Now, last week I talked about how we've known for two years that the film The Black Panther was coming out. Well, in doing more research, I found out that we were first notified, not in 2016, but 2014, that the movie The Black Panther was coming out. So we knew for four years it was coming out. So those naysayers, right, who say, oh, the black community's not making any money, you have four years to position yourself to make some money off the film. Why didn't you do it? Other people did it. Maya Crown Williams here in a uh, suburb of Detroit, she had a screening for uh, the film Black Panther. That was packed. You, the whole Afrofuturism, that whole genre of, of African-American comic books and African-centered com comic books and African-centered comic book, African-American comic book conventions, those things are going to be packed now. The Black Panther film is fueling all of this. Last, last weekend on AM Joy, Erica Alexander, who we first saw as Cousin Pam on The Cosby Show, then saw as Attorney Maxine Shaw on Living Single. She is a co-founder of a comic book of an African American comic book series, she was on there promoting it. it a, a lot of people are making money off of this film. You got the naysayers complaining because they did not position themselves to make money off of this film. Success is where preparation meets opportunity. They didn't position themselves. That's why they're not successful. That's why they're complaining. So, considering that T'Challa rules over an entire nation and relies heavily on his family for aid and support, not only in personal matters, but in national security matters as well. That's why Angela Bassett will be returning for Infinity War as Wakanda's queen mother, Ramonda. That sister looks fine, too. I know she's older than me, but that don't mean nothing. Age ain't nothing but a number. You know, come on. I, that sister looks fine. I still smack it up, flip it, and rub it down. <laughs> that sister looks fine. <laughs> With those locks, too. And she's, she'll be alongside Letitia uh, Wright, who plays Shuri, right? T'Challa's sister, also known as MC Underbite. That's her, that's her hip-hop name, MC Underbite. Did you see her freestyle in, in costume? Oh, you got to go online and see this. She did a freestyle rapping in, in, in costume. And so when they, she has the, uh, like the claw underneath her jaw, that's what they call her MC Underbite, right? And they show Lapita Nyong'o rapping as well. So Mar also Marvel's Science Brothers, can always use another member. Of course, as Black Panther proves, T'Challa can't go anywhere without his most trusted general and ally, Okoya, played by Danae Guerrero. Okay, so they're all coming back from Infinity War. This is going to be like the Battle Royal, almost like the Battle Royal of the Marvel Universe. So we had Captain America Civil War. Now you've got Infinity War. So in Black Panther, M'Baku, played by Winston Duke, became an unwilling ally of T'Challa's uh, due respect and, above all, self-preservation, 
okay, or really the preservation of his people, the Jabari tribe. And when you read the uh, when you read the comic book, the two hundred page book, uh, the uh, Marvel's Ultimate Black Panther Guide. They give like the background information. They talk about Mbaku in there. They talk about Eric Killmonger. Eric Killmonger in the comic book was actually an outcast of Wakanda. Okay? Not outcast the group. You know, not outcast the group. Okay? But he was an outcast of Wakanda. He was not African American. They changed it for the movie to give it a different slant. And that helps also, I think, I think that, I think the Killmonger character actually helped to attract more African Americans to the film and keep them engaged into the film because everybody wasn't from Wakanda. So the Jabari fought the Jabari tribe fought all fought alongside their fellow Wakandans. Well okay this may be a spoiler alert. They should have put this in here, but okay. For the first time in centuries to defend the nation from outsiders. Doesn't that sound like Pan Africanism? I'm just saying, doesn't that sound like Pan Africanism? People say, oh it's against Pan Africanism. No it's not. Have you analyzed the film? Have you researched the film? Or are you just talking? Another Negro naysayer. And they will be doing the same in Infinity War as evidenced by the film's trailer. Another person technically from Black Panthers, from Black Panther that, that is reappearing in Avengers uh, 3 Infinity War is Bucky, played by Sebastian Stan, also known as the Winter Soldier. But everyone knew that. Okay, because that's one of the uh, post-credit scenes that you see. That's why I say you got to stay all the way to the end. Otherwise, you're going to be really mad when you talk to other people and you find out there were two additional scenes that you paid your money for and you left and didn't see. But what people may not have known is that Black Panther reboots Bucky for Infinity War. Since Black Panther is the final film to release prior to Infinity War hitting theaters May 4th, 2018, it makes sense that more than a few actors and actresses will be reprising their role in the film. These African-American actors and actresses, they're making some money. So you come back for Avengers Infinity War. Now, Angela Bassett, when she was on uh, MSNBC last weekend, she talked about how, I think it was her son, like really liked her role. This is like the coolest mom. Your mom is in Black Panther, and she's going to be in Avengers Infinity War? Oh, come on. This is like, this is like the coolest mom ever right here. But at first, the Avengers 3 trailer pointed out, it goes deeper than that. An integral part of the movie takes place in Wakanda. T'Challa and M'Baku, M'Baku's armies are seen charging into battle alongside the Hulk, the Falcon, the War Machine, Black Widow, Captain America, and the Winter Soldier. In fact, there are two scenes of Wakanda's armies preparing for a fight. Considering what's known about the film so far, it is understandable why... Uh, quite a few actors from Black Panther are in Avengers Infinity War, man. They, they, man, they making some money. Now, I heard that um, uh, Ryan Coogler, who directed and co-wrote the script. They say, oh, the script written by white people. No, it's written by two African Americans, dumbass. Where do, where do these people get this nonsense from? You don't know how to use Google? It was two African Americans that wrote the script for this film. Now, uh, you got... Three months to prepare for Avengers Infinity War. Now, the Negro naysayers that were on Facebook saying the black community is not making any money from this film. Now, Avengers Infinity War comes out May 4th, 2018. Everybody tell all the Negro naysayers you got about three months or two and a half months to prepare for this. Now, I guarantee you 99% will be saying the same sorry nonsense 
come May 4th because they still didn't prepare themselves. Because they're not about creating opportunities or taking advantage of opportunities. They're about taking people's joy. They want you as miserable as they are. That way, their pitiful lives don't seem as screwed up as they actually are. Read this article from screens, Screen Rant. Uh, com. Every Black Panther character returning in Avengers Infinity War. Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the future of radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hello, everyone. This is Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network and host of the African History Network show. It's African American History Month once again, and this is a perfect time to register for our online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This is a 14-hour course broken up into seven sessions. It's all pre-recorded, so it's all on demand. The entire course is pre-recorded and on demand. And it also includes about 20 hours of bonus content. So as soon as you register, you can start watching immediately. This online course is on sale for only $50. It's taught by myself, Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History when we discuss the transatlantic slave trade, we have to understand that African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America and have been in the U.S. for at least 51,700 years. We can't start studying our history in slavery. Even when we study the transatlantic slave trade, which is important to study, we cannot start in 1619 or in the 1440s when the Portuguese get involved. We have to understand the history chronologically and deal with the 800-year occupation of the Africans known as the Moors, who enter into the Iberian Peninsula, today known as Spain and Portugal, from North Africa in 711 AD. This course not only deals with the slave trade, but thousands of years of history that leads up to the transatlantic slave trade of African people taking place. You can register for this course at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com all on demand. I do a PowerPoint presentation, video clips, numerous references, so you can start watching as soon as you register. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahafa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they did teach in the school. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the future radio. Hey, we're in our second hour, calling the numbers 313 778-7600, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Uh, we're posting that here on our Facebook fan page also, 313-778-7600. Now, there was, a, um, there was an article from AtlantaBlackStar.com as well as ThinkProgress.org, okay? And uh, this article dealt with... Um, can Black Panther be used to teach uh, colonialism, teach the history of colonialism in Africa? Okay? And it talks about how one teacher uh, thinks it can be. All right? So we want to take a look at this because there's so much history here and so much African culture that you can use this as a teaching tool. Okay? Our children's minds are open, uh, the minds of African Americans are open. Okay? And we're posting the link to this article here from Huffington Post Black Voices also that I talked about uh, entitled uh, This Black Org Help Oust Bill O'Reilly 
by hitting Fox where it hurts. This black org helped oust Bill O'Reilly while hitting Fox where it hurts. Okay. So, uh, and, and, and that dealt with African Americans organizing to get Bill O'Reilly's show off the air. Okay. All right. Um, so let's look at this article here from Hubbington uh, Post, I'm sorry, from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Can Black Panther be used to teach colonialism in Africa? One teacher thinks so, okay? And um, what I'm going to do, I want to look at the original article from ThinkProgress.org. So educators are embracing Black Panther in their curriculum, and it's amazing. Educators are embracing uh, Black Panther in their curriculum, and it's amazing. I've incorporated Black Panther into my presentations and talk about it. I spoke last week at a church, um, St. Francis uh, Baptist Church here in Detroit, and there were African-American youth there, and they loved me talking about Black Panther. So Tess Razzers, this is the um, teacher's name, R-A-S-E-R, Tess Razzer students have been studying colonialism in Africa for a month now. So next week, as part of the lesson plan, she intends to take her sixth graders to see Marvel's Black Panther. For Razzer, her teach, who teaches at an elementary school in Chicago's South Side, Black Panther invites her students to meditate on Africa and its diaspora through the, uh, through the imaginary country of Wakanda which is located in Northeast Africa, around Kenya, okay? So Black Panther invites her students to meditate on Africa and its diaspora through the uh, imaginary country of Wakanda. Now she is using the film to explore the legacy of colonialism in Africa and then racism in the United States. Razzle's curriculum is, an amb is as ambitious as the movie she draws inspiration from. In broad strokes, in broad strokes, Black Panther, a comic book turned blockbuster, follows superhero King T'Challa as he struggles to support the highly advanced African nation of Wakanda. Okay? And on Facebook, check out my shirt. I'm going to start selling these. Okay? Because too many people have been asking me, where can I get this shirt? I might as well start selling them. You know, it's just <laughs> success is where preparation meets opportunity. Some people don't want to be successful. This is all this to it. All right. So more deeply, Black Panther reflects on Pan-Africanism, racial politics, and imperialism. The conflict between King T'Challa and his cousin Eric Killmonger as the um, Atlantic's Van R. Newkirk II writes the Atlantic.com, Atlantic Magazine, and, and news website. Uh, Newkirk underscores, quote, the nature of power and the rightness of its use that have dominated uh, black thought in the United States, quote, unquote. Now, for educators, Black Panther marks an opportunity to unpack these heavy themes with young people while also celebrating black beauty more broadly under a racist America first presidency. Who are they talking about? The, 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 the philanderer in chief? in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, who's not going to be there much longer. I think he's going to be forced to resign from office, just like Richard Nixon was forced to resign from office. August 9, 1974, 
because the Democrats were in control. They drew up articles of impeachment. First article of impeachment was obstruction of justice. Second article of impeachment was abuse of power. And Republicans put pressure on Nixon to resign. They said it's over. This is after January of uh, 73, no, January of 74, when Nixon shut down, uh, well, he announced like the shutting down of the uh, investigation. Now, October 23rd in 1973, that's when you had the Saturday Night Massacre. And Richard Nixon uh, put pressure on the Attorney General to fire Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox. The Attorney General refused and resigned. He goes to the Deputy Attorney General to do the same thing. The Deputy Attorney General refuses and resigns. Then he, takes the, he, he goes to uh, uh, um, Robert Bork, who was the Solicitor General, and puts him in as the Attorney General. And Robert Bork fires Archibald Cox, right? But the investigation is going to continue. And Nixon ended up being the first sitting president to resign from office August 9th, 1974. A month later, his vice president, who was sworn in as president August 9th, 1974, Gerald Ford from Michigan, gave him a pardon, presidential pardon. Well, 48 people around Richard Nixon went to prison. Y'all, people need to understand this. There's a whole lot of people in the, in the, in the, in the Trump campaign and administration who are sweating bullets. Because history, because this, these are chickens coming back home to roost. These are chickens coming back home to roost. And there's going to be a lot of people going to prison. And, and you haven't seen the worst of it yet. There's going to be a lot of people. 48 people around Richard Nixon went to prison. This is worse than Watergate. Especially when all the charges come out and you're going to see more charges about money laundering. Oh, all these people who talked about their upstanding and America first and all this stuff, you're going to find out they're traitors. Okay, we'll see how this movie ends. I can tell you how it's going to end. So, back to the Black Panther teaching colonialism in, in history in schools, right? So the film Black Panther is purpose, purposely timely as it's released in February, African American History Month, which is smart, a month dedicated to understanding African American history. Moreover, the release coincides with an especially tumultuous social and political period and gives teachers an opportunity to incorporate potentially controversial issues in lessons, which, as ed educator Clint Smith explains, is no, is no easy feat. Because you have a rise in white supremacy because of who is in the White House. You have a, a rise in white supremacy because of who is in the White House. Okay? So, um, you know, I posted on Facebook last week because you had a lot of people, you know, a lot of the Negro naysayers just going crazy. Okay? And uh, they were putting the movie down, things like this. Okay, so if there are things wrong with the movie, this is your opportunity to correct it as opposed to attacking it. This is your opportunity to correct it. Our people want to know. So this is why I posted, real teachers teach and haters hate. Real teachers teach and haters hate. Okay? Uh, so this is a huge opportunity. All right. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. 313 778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Now, students will come for flashy fighting scenes, 
but perhaps they'll notice, for example, the African cultural representation throughout the film. Wakanda, even though it's a fictionalized African nation, it escapes white imperialism, okay? It showcases a pan-African universe, and um, the, the teacher, uh, Tess Razer, is making sure her students know this history reflects real traditions and African tribes. Now, Ethiopia was the only African nation not conquered by colonialism. Okay, with the exception of Liberia, but Liberia is different because Liberia was founded, you know, by the U.S., by the American Colonization Society in 1821. So Liberia is different, all right? And this is an opportunity to teach about the Berlin Conference of 1884 and 1885. To teach about colonialism, you have to deal with the transatlantic slave trade. If you want to deal with the transatlantic slave trade properly, you have to deal with the 800-year fictitious film to deal with history and things like this. I say, dude, do you understand that this film is going around the world. People are coming out in Africa to see this film. You have African-American children's minds captivated. And this is a film that has African culture all throughout it. And this is a film where we're not depicted as slaves. Okay? Okay, this is a film where we're not depicted as slaves. Do you understand the, the, the power of this film? Right? So... Tess Razer, in her class, she's connecting themes in this fictitious film, right? Of themes of uh, how uh, Wakanda escaping from white imperialism. This film showcasing Pan African, uh, Pan Af uh, a Pan African universe or Pan Africanism, and she's making sure that her students know this universe reflects real traditions and tribes. Okay, so we talked about General Okoya wore the end of, uh, wore the uh, gold neck rings from the Ndebele of Zimbabwe and South Africa, and they wear these rings uh, uh, there as a sign of wealth and status. Okay, and this is another example how how real teachers teach and haters hate. Real teachers teach and haters hate. So it's easy to engage students when you relate something they're already interested in to the subject matter. So the biggest, perhaps most prominent takeaway is the blackness of the actors and actresses, said Vanessa McGee, who's a former teacher and now education consultant based in Denver, Colorado. This is not only a lot of African Americans in the film, these are dark-skinned African Americans. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. I love dark-skinned sisters. Everybody knows I love chocolate. No, I don't have a problem with it. Okay? But it's, it's important for our children to see that. Because oftentimes, darker-skinned African Americans in media are demonized. So it's important for them to see these, especially darker-skinned, and there's some brown-skinned ones as well, but especially to see these darker-skinned African, African people as heroes, as engineers, as scientists, right? So Vanessa McGee, Vanessa McGee, who's a former teacher and now education consultant based in Denver, Colorado, she says that uh, perhaps the most prominent takeaway is the blackness of actors and actresses. And this is why it's especially important for kids of color to engage with the film, she said, especially, now, now kids of color, she may mean that, I'm going to say African-American, specifically, 
Now, other kids of color, Hispanic, Latino, Asian, they, they, this is good for them to see this. But number one, especially for African-American children, to see themselves, not depicted as slaves. And I understand slavery is part of our history. I understand you're going to have movies dealing with slavery, but we got to have other movies as well, okay? Whether they're fictitious or what, dealing with some type of history. Now, the movie is also directed, written, and scored by African-Americans. Now, the Negro naysayers don't want to tell you this. R Ryan Coogler is African-American. Last time I checked, he's the director, and he co-wrote the script. And for this, everything from the music to the characters is without racial tropes and is instead multifaceted. For instance, the slated antagonist, Eric Killmonger, is far more complex than the average villain while King T'Challa rejects his cousin's aspiration of world domination because Eric Killmonger became like Europeans. He wanted to take the technology from Wakanda to basically conquer the world and rule and oppress like Europeans. So King T'Challa, who is the Black Panther, rejects his cousin's aspiration of world domination. The Black Panther also empathizes with him and is even influenced by him. And kids can make personal connections with this conflict. Conflict. The muddled reality of good and bad. Vanessa McGee, who is a, a former teacher and now education consultant, uh, stated this. She goes on, but uh, she goes on. But of course, quote, you don't want to influence them on what it means to them, end quote. Okay? She said, she said this a student's interpretation of the film and its characters. Now, she also posted a guide for educators on her blog on how to talk about the movie in the classroom. So here you have teaching tools. So all the teachers that are listening right now, you, need, you want to check out this article from thinkprogress.org, right? Teachers are using Black Panther to discuss African colonialism and American racism. Uh-oh. You're going to talk about white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, and racism being a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race that comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival on a, on a planet that's less than 10% European? Uh-oh. This is a powerful film. See, this is why real teachers teach and haters hate. This film is a game changer right here. And, and Ryan Coogler and... Michael B. Jordan, they're coming out with a film about Mansa Musa, the wealthiest man in the history of this world who was the ruler of Mali, and he just happened to be an African man. He wasn't a European, wasn't Greek, wasn't Roman, no. He was an African man. They're coming out with this movie. Because, the, because see, the box office success of this film, $700 billion worldwide as of today, as reported by Fortune.com, opens. This is a whole game changer for future films like this to come out. Historical films, non-slave films, non-slave films. I don't want to see another Twelve Years a Slave. I ain't paying twelve dollars or five dollars to go see and get the hell beat out of us. I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. I wait for DVD and main. And it, I mean, even Django Unchained, right? It took me four days to watch Django. Three or four days to watch Django. I couldn't sit there and watch all that. 
And this is a fictitious movie, but it takes place during slavery. I had to watch it in 20-minute increments. I can't sit there and watch that. I've been studying our history culture for 25 years. I can't sit there and watch this. That's, you know, that's not entertainment to me. I'm sorry. Especially coming from somebody like uh, Quentin Tarantino, who I don't like. He puts all the N-words in his movie, things like this. Why don't you have, why don't you have Italians in your movies calling each other all type of derogatory names? Uh-oh. Why don't you do that? You, you're Italian, right? Why don't you have Italians in your movies calling each other all type of derogatory names? Why don't you do that? Why do you only have black people in your movies calling each other derogatory names? We need to think about that before we go pay money to go see another Quentin Tarantino film. Now, because Black Panther is, an enter is as entertaining as it is educational, crowdfunding campaigns have been sending young people nationwide to see this movie. And Little Miss Flint, up in Flint, Michigan, the sister raised thousands of dollars for uh, uh, children in Flint to go see this movie also. We're coming up on a break. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. Now, this is something a lot of people are not talking about, how teachers are using the film Black Panther to discuss African history, African colonialism, and American white supremacy and racism. This is the African History Network, 910 AM, The Future Radio, and Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show, 910 AM, Superstation, The Future Radio. Hey, I want to let everybody know that uh, on Monday... Uh, February 26th, I will be guest hosting uh, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. the Cliff Russell Show. Okay, we know Cliff Russell passed away. Uh, talk show host here, a friend of mine, Cliff Russell passed away uh, this past Monday. He had a heart attack. Uh, he was in Chicago. Uh, he was the play-by-play -play announcer for the Detroit Titans. He was in Chicago, had a medical emergency, had a heart attack, unfortunately passed away. Uh, the um, family hour was today, okay? The funeral is tomorrow. I will be guest hosting his show tomorrow, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. And uh, be sure to tune in. We'll be broadcasting on Facebook Live also. Be sure to tune in as well, all right? Okay, so let's go back to this article. And once again, if you have a question or comment, uh, call in numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. So we're talking about the film Black Panther, but more importantly, we talk we are talking about how teachers are actually using the film to teach African history, teach the history of colonialism, and teach about American racism. Atlantablackstar.com had this article that they picked up from thinkprogress.org called Can Black Panther Be Used to Teach Colonialism in Africa? One teacher thinks so. And not just a teacher, but a you also have an educational consultant. And they picked up this article from thinkprogress.org. Okay, thinkprogress.org. Um, and we'll post this link here on our fan page also, okay? And for those listening, hey, if you like this type of information, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can order all of my DVD lectures there on my latest presentation. I did that February 3rd, 2018, called Breaking the Chains, Breaking the Chains, how, um, Breaking the Chains, Exposing the Myths, uh, why we celebrate African American History Month, why we celebrate African American History Month, okay? Um. So we have that presentation there. It's right on the home page of the website. And then also you can uh, register for the online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school, which is a seven-session, 14-hour online course that I teach. You can go at your own pace. It's all pre-recorded. And it's 20 hours of bonus content. 
okay that's only fifty dollars for that online course and it'll blow you away we do with thousands of years of, uh, of history okay all right so you can check that out also okay so let's go back to this article here um, that is causing people to rethink um, even the film okay and how to use the film it's a powerful powerful learning tool it can be used as all right flip back over here so because the film Black Panther is entertaining is as entertaining as it is educational crowdfunding campaigns have been sending young people nationwide to see the movie critically acclaimed rapper producer Kendrick Lamar bought Black Panther movie tickets for 1,000 Los Angeles kids living in the Watts housing project little miss Flint um, whose name is Mary uh, Copeny C-O-P-E-N-Y raised enough money to send, well, okay, it was 150 kids in Flint, Michigan, to uh, a free screening of um, Black Panther. As, um, and she's 10 years old. She explained that Black Panther gives Flint kids a chance to see themselves represented on the big screen as royalty and heroes. Now, while some are skeptical of this approach, as even supporting this film means supporting white capitalism, yeah, but when you take, when you take your WIC payment, and you go to the store, you support white capitalism, right? When you go and work at a job, if you work for white people, you support white capitalism. You know, and just, you know, it's, it's oh, never mind. okay, whatever. Uh, Black Panther does signify a big cultural moment, and so it's important to see it. And as thinkprogress.org, uh, Sam Fullwood III goes to explain, Black Panther is an unapologetic black event. Black Panther is an unapologetic black event. And so for black people or African Americans, and especially the youth, viewing it is critical. Now, Frederick Joseph on, um, on Twitter, in this article here on Twitter, said, as we, as we are finding the Wakanda within ourselves. Let's not forget the importance of having these conversations and reflecting with our young people. BlackPantherChallenge.org offers readings, learning worksheets, and you can find campaigns to still support hashtag Black Panther Challenge. So Black Panther Challenge was an initiative, a crowdfunding initiative, and it raised something like $300,000 to send children across the country to go see the film to buy tickets to go see the film, Black Panther Challenge, okay? And they have resources here, so I'll pull up the website. So in this article for thinkprogress.org, they have a link to blackpantherchallenge.org, blackpantherchallenge.org. And on their homepage of the website, it says resources. Access resources and readings about hashtag Black Panther. If you'd like to contribute, please email us. Okay, they have the email address there, okay? So they have a reading list here also for children of all different age ranges as well. They have a coloring book, they have, uh, okay, so this is for younger children. Then if we if we look at, um, that was for children kindergarten through fifth grade, okay? They have resources and reading. So for young adults, sixth grade to twelfth grade, um, they have, um, after viewing the movie, uh, they have a reading from Coltan to Vibranium. So coltan, so if you see the film, vibranium only grows in Wakanda, right? And this is uh, 
the strongest metal on earth, but they also use it in their technology. Okay? Well, if you look at coltan, coltan is a mineral that comes from the Congo. And coltan is used in every cell phone, every laptop, it's used in iPads. It's used to make this technology work. Coltan is similar to vibranium. But coltan is real, vibranium is not. There's a, uh, I guess this is a book, The Politics of Black Panther. So they have all types of, real. Well, this is an article, The Politics of Black Panther. They have all types of readings here. So you can deal with history, you can deal with politics, things like this. And they have all this for different age ranges. So real teachers, so haters hate and real teachers teach. So Frederick Joseph says, as we are finding, okay, so the Wakanda and ourselves, let's not forget the importance of having these conversations and reflecting with our young people, okay? Uh, now, he's helping children see Black Panther for free and is also offering resources and readings for kids to reflect on the film afterwards. And who is better positioned to moderate these conversations than our teachers? So this is powerful. So as so while some people complain, other people are using this as an opportunity to teach. While some people complain, others are using this as an opportunity to teach. So Comrade Johnson on Facebook quoted me and said, haters hate and teachers teach. This is what happens. Haters hate and real teachers teach. All right. So check out that article also. All right. So back to our conversation about the NRA. And people are redistributing the pain against the National Rifle Association. It's about time. It's about time. So NBCNews.com has an article, More Companies Cut Ties with the NRA After Customer Backlash. This is from yesterday, February 24, 2018. More and more American businesses, including car rental companies and airlines and insurance agent, and, sorry, and insurance giant and the major bank, are severing ties with several uh, national rifle uh, with with the uh, severing ties with the National Rifle Association (NRA) in the face of torrents of criticism from customers on social media. They're feeling the backlash. The backlash began on Thursday, after the First National Bank of Omaha, which has an NRA-branded Visa credit card, said in a statement that it had decided not to renew the contract. So look at what happened. Between Thursday and today, you have almost a dozen companies that have announced that they're severing ties. Corporations. These ain't mom and small mom and pop stores. You have almost a dozen corporations announcing that they are severing ties with the NRA, which is one of the most powerful lobbies. One of the most powerful lobbying organizations in the country. And they are there to protect the rights, not really of the gun owner, but of the gun manufacturers. That's what this is really about. This is about protecting the rights of the gun manufacturers. So shortly afterward, other companies announced they would end their NRA membership discount programs. The groundswell comes amid calls for tighter gun control after the shooting at a high school in Parkland, Florida last week. Of last Wednesday that claimed the lives of 17 people. Those calls have been rejected by the NRA, which instead has pointed the finger at school security, the mental health system, and the FBI. Okay? Now, the NRA is heavily supported by Republicans. 
Now here you have Republicans that was the party of law enforcement turning on their own law enforcement. You got the NRA and you have Republicans and Republicans were the party of law enforcement, the party of law and order. They're turning on their own law enforcement. They're turning on their FBI. They're turning on the Broward County Sheriff's Department. They're turning on their own law enforcement when it's convenient for them. Now, isn't it interesting when African Americans, when Black Lives Matter, when other groups were talking about police misconduct and incompetent police and things like this, they said we were lying and if you just did what the police said, you wouldn't be shot and blah, 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 right? That doesn't apply to them, though. They're turning on their own police. They're turning on their own law enforcement. Very interesting. Now, the groundswell comes amid calls for tighter gun control after the shooting at the uh, Parkland, uh, Florida High School last week. Those calls have been rejected by the NRA, which instead has pointed the finger at school security, the mental health system, and the FBI. And in the, in, the, in the NRA, so Trump is echoing, right? Trump is echoing this nonsense coming from the NRA about arming teachers in the schools. And most teachers are saying, we don't want to be armed. We, 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 we didn't sign up for this. It just, gets, it just gets worse and worse each day. It just gets dumber and dumber. Right? Wasn't that movie called Dumb and Dumber? Right? They could recast that with Wayne Lafayette. I mean, uh, yeah, Wayne Lafayette, I think is his name, right? Wayne Lafayette and Donald Trump. They can star in the 2018 edition of Dumb and Dumber. Now, a spokesman for Visa said in a statement that the First National Bank of Omaha has, has informed us of its intention not to renew the NRA co-branded uh, card program when its agreement with the NRA expires. We will support the issuer's efforts to wind down the portfolio smoothly, they said. Now, a marketing website for the, for the Visa card was offline as of Friday, but a uh, uh, cached uh, version of it, uh, said this is a backed up version on the, on the internet, a cached version of it said customers could defend freedom with the NRA Visa card by helping fund NRA programs. The ad said it gave members $35 after their first transaction, quote, enough to reimburse your one-year NRA membership. When white corporations start running away from the NRA, you know things are bad. But that's because people picked up the phone and called these corporations and expressed their displeasure with them being aligned with the NRA. Now, survivors of the Parkland shooting and, and customers took to social media to demand the company's NRA-related program. They did that, but they also called as well. Social media is a powerful thing. What happens when you have African Americans all across the country saying we don't want any more uh, negative corporate hip hop, marketing death to our children? What what happens when that happens? Now David Hogg, H-O-G-G, who's a survivor of the Parkland massacre, we've seen him in a lot of interviews, tweeted his gratitude to companies who announced they were ending their partnership. And in a series of individual tweets, David Hogg asked other companies to follow suit. 
Some did. Among those cutting ties with the NRA were the car rental companies Enterprise, Hertz, Avis, and Budget. This is powerful. This is, I'm telling you, when you understand economic guerrilla warfare strategies, this is straight out, I've, I've talked about this. Three main principles of economic guerrilla warfare. Redistribute, redirect, and renegotiate. Redistribute the pain of those inflicting pain upon us through targeted, sustained economic withdrawal strategies. This is a precursor to it. Going to social media is a precursor to actual economic boycott. But they didn't have to boycott. They expressed their opinions on social media. Corporations see this, especially when you go to the social media Webs, the social media pages of these corporations, and you got thousands of people talking about how it's a shame that you are support, you are aligned with the NRA, and I might, I may have to stop supporting you. Oh, they pay attention to this. We don't understand it. They pay attention to this. So some did. Among those cutting ties with the NRA were the car rental companies Enterprise, Hertz, Avis, and Budget. Their insurance giant, MetLife. You know the one with Snoopy, MetLife, the software firm Semantic, and the Boston-based home security company Simply Safe, Delta Airlines and United Airlines. Delta and United also said in statements Saturday that they will no longer offer travel discounts for the NRA. This just happened in four days. What they haven't been able to do in 40 years is taking place. Each airline asked that related information be removed from the NRA website. They got shamed so much by people who fly on, on their planes that they said, no, we got to end this. This is, a, this is a public relations nightmare. We can't justify this. Now, African Americans spend $1.3 trillion a year. What happens when we leverage our dollars? What happens when we realize how much power we actually have and stop listening to Negro naysayers that want you to be as weak and powerless and ignorant and, 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 and depressed as they are? We need to study this. This is, I mean, you know, when, when you go to business school, you do case studies, right? This is going to be a case study. I had to take social ethics at Wayne State in, in business school. This is going to be a, a, a case study in social ethics classes. Now, New York University marketing professor Scott Galloway said the companies are making a smart business move to protect their brand. And we studied this stuff in marketing. In my marketing, we, we studied different things like this. He said the most valuable person in the world of consumer business is an 18-year-old. They have influence on what the rest of us believe is cool and have a lifetime of discretionary spending ahead of them. Because corporations, they're looking at 18-year-olds and they say, if we screw up, we can lose this 18-year-old for the rest of their life or we can gain them as a customer for the rest of their life. I understand this. My degree is in marketing. We studied this. This is a real-life example because corporations, right, they estimate what the lifetime value of a customer is. From age 18 to 65 or 70, they estimate what the average lifetime value 
of a customer is. So the most valuable person in the world of, a, of, of a consumer business is an 18-year-old. They have influence over what the rest of us believe is cool and have a lot and have a, a, a lifetime of discretionary spending ahead of them. Okay? Scott Galloway told NBC News. Their recent galvanization against the issue has made the NRA very uncool and as and an easy target for firms wanting to say to the most important cohort, hey, we get it, and we are with you. But Matt Schultz, senior industry analyst at creditcards.com, said the firms are walking a thin line. Matt Schultz said this is a bold move, but also a risky one, because passions burn so hot on both sides of the topic of guns. Many will applaud the move, but NRA members are uh, famously loyal, and the organization has shown itself being very good at mobilizing its members, so there's a real possibility of a significant backlash. But see, the thing is, it is like uh, something like 85, 90% of NRA members support universal background checks. Okay? See, once again, the NRA they're in place to really protect the gun lobby, not necessarily the gun. See, they use protecting the rights of gun owners as a shield. They're really there to protect the gun lobby, to, to, sorry, to, to protect the gun manufacturers. That's what they're really there for. And you have people who are rebelling against them. So read the rest of this article think, uh, from NBCNews.com. More companies cut ties with the NRA after customer backlash. This is from February 24, 2018. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Theo. Hey, Theo, uh, thanks for holding. Welcome to the African History Network show. Thank you. And happy Sunday to you. I'm enjoying all of the information that you're sharing. Thanks. Now, as it relates to the NRA, mm -hmm. Would even want to be I'm not sure. You could probably go to their website. You could probably go to their website and find it. I know they have African American members. You could, they may they may tell it at their website. Oh, okay. To share that. Now, um, with the uh, security they had at the school, mm -hmm. it's been mentioned that there were what, three or four of them. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to some veterans, and they were saying it's totally different. Um, being on guard and walking around <laughs> then when somebody starts shooting and bullets start flying in the air. Oh, absolutely. It's a whole lot different. Yeah, this is what Trump doesn't understand. You think you think teachers are going to take a three-day course and it's going to prepare them to be in combat with a Glock 40 caliber handgun against an AR-15 or another assault rifle? Trump, Trump is crazy. want to call the man a coward because he didn't do anything. But if teachers have guns in, in the classroom, who's to say that another teacher doesn't get mad for whatever reason, and they may have a conflict, and the child may may care for the, you know, the teacher, you know how kids in school, they, right. they admire their idols, and they may want to stop it, the kid gets, just all kind of scenarios you can think of. There's going to be a lot of nonsense taking place. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The idea of having on the teachers. Oh, man. It, but see, the reason why the NRA 
and Trump are proposing this. Number one, the NRA spent $21 million to get Trump in office, number one. So oh. Trump is beholden to the NRA. That's why he spoke at that conference. Number two, the NRA is there to sell more guns, which benefits the gun manufacturers, and that's who the NRA is really there to protect, okay, the gun manufacturers. Because if they're, if they're going to then buy guns, right, for teachers, okay, then there's going to be more guns sold, which benefits, which be, and these gun manufacturers, most of them are publicly traded companies, like Smith & Wesson is a publicly traded company. Maybe big, big contracts uh, going back and forth. But uh, I, I just think that the um, Second Amendment mm -hmm. uh, is, is not uh, as they are trying to translate it, it, you know. And I think that people, well, you're not going to get rid of 5 million guns if that's how many are in the hands of people. No, no, there are three, there are three hundred million guns in this country. Yeah, and three hundred—I mean, sorry, three percent of the people own almost ninety percent of the firearms. But I'm thinking that if they're going to do anything, they're not. First of all, they're not going to collect all the guns. But I think if they're going to pass a law and have people keep the guns in their home, protect yourself, your loved ones, and your property, just keep them out. They don't need to walk around with guns hanging off their hip. It, it just seems to me that Well, Michigan is an open carry state. I don't see that changing. Right. Well, the federal government, well, they you got marijuana, right? Even though it's legal here, it's, it's a federal law against it. So right. why can't the federal government pass a law saying keep your guns, but keep them in your home? Why should they be able to well, well, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a problem between states' rights and the federal government. But okay, I gotta get this other call. Thanks for calling, Theo. Okay, all right, let's go to John, line two. John, thanks for calling. Yeah, okay, you're speaking to the facts. Oprah, Oprah said the same thing. What you just said about the the organizers and 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 boycotting the the young people and so forth. Thanks for calling, man. I'll be guest hosting the Cliff Russell Show tomorrow, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. also. All right, uh, so tune in. Okay, so um, myajc.com, myajc.com, my Atlanta Journal Constitution, they have an article from February 22, 2018, by Maureen Downey. In gunfights, trained officers have an 18% hit rate. Yet we want to arm teachers in gunfights. Trained officers have an 18% hit rate. Yet we want to arm teachers. So check out this article here, and um, I'll share a little bit of this with you. It says after meeting Wednesday with student survivors and parents of teens killed in last week's shooting spree at Florida High School, Donald Trump endorsed the idea of arming teachers. He said, "Quote: If you had a teacher." 
who was adept with the firearm, they could end the attack very quickly. He's such an idiot. Okay? Now, this is the same guy who got five deferments because he was too much of a coward to go fight in Vietnam. This is the same guy that got five deferments because he was too much of a coward to go fight in Vietnam. And he said his Vietnam was avoiding getting STDs in the 1970s. Okay? But he wants to arm teachers. Now, Trump said this would be obviously only for people who are very adept at handling a gun, and it would, and, and, and it would be, it's called concealed carry, where a teacher would have a concealed gun on them. They go for special training, and they would be there, and you would no longer have a gun-free zone, end quote. Now, critics countered student shooters. Uh, critics countered student shooters are not daunted by fears of meeting an armed response. Many, like the two Columbine uh, killers, were on a suicide mission and planned to die. The Columbine shooters left video farewells for, the, uh, for their parents. With all this discussion about arming teachers, I spent a few hours looking at research on the accuracy rates of trained police officers in situations with active shooters. Active shooters, what became clear, accuracy with a firearm depends on training. Accuracy with a firearm depends on training. And the police training is far more extensive, comprehensive, and ongoing than anything that would ever be provided for teachers, including scenario practices. And the training is not just in how to use a weapon, but how to manage stress in a deadly situation. It's different being on a gun range and you shooting at a paper target, because just like Bruce Lee said, bricks don't hit back. Paper targets don't shoot back, even if the paper target is moving. Even if you have those pop-up targets and it's a bad guy with a gun, they don't shoot back. It's different. When you hear a high-caliber rifle shooting at you and you know this person is trying to kill you, it's entirely different. What became clear, accuracy with the firearm depends on training, and the police training is far more extensive, comprehensive, and ongoing than anything that would ever be provided by teachers, including scenario practices. And the training is not just in how to use a weapon, but how to manage stress in a daily situation. Yet even with all of their training, it's hard for police officers to hit a target uh, and, and, and harder still in chaotic conditions. The New York Police Department is the nation's largest police force and among the best trained, yet its own study showed between 1998 and 2006 the average hit rate was 18% for officers in the gunfight. The, 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 the New York Police Department's own study, okay, shows from 1998 to 2006 the average hit rate was 18% for its officers in a gunfight. And Trump wants to arm teachers. What an idiot. Read this article, myagc.com. Um, trained officers... Uh, it'll come back up. Trained officers have a uh, hit rate of 18%, uh, yet uh, we want to arm teachers, okay? So then News1.com has an article looking at it from an African-American perspective, and this is what a lot of people are not talking about, how um, uh, gun, uh, guns in schools in Florida, sh uh, um, sorry, this article deals with the African-American impact, and it deals with how African-American students are already over-policed and disciplined more. Why arming teachers and police at schools is the last thing black students need, okay? Um, 
many teachers already mistreat students of color. Now we want to give them guns, okay? And they talk about how regardless of how teachers feel about having guns, not only on school grounds, but also in their classrooms, statistics have long proven that the people, that people of color are always among the first to be suspected by officials of any relevant wrongdoing. Likewise, law enforcement has repeatedly shown there is no sense of urgency when a potential suspect is white. Beyond that, beyond that, there are clear racial disparities in school discipline that, lops that lopsidedly affect black students according to statistics reported by the Brookings Institute. Okay? So they're talking about how African American children are going to be ones, they're going to be disproportionately shot. Because what happens when there's an altercation and the teacher feels threatened by an African American student? Now they can shoot him and say, my life was threatened. I felt my life was threatened. Read this article. And then we know that today, this day in African American history, we know today is the anniversary of Muhammad Ali winning the heavyweight championship for the first time, defeating Sonny Liston. So on February 25, 1964, underdog Cassius Clay, Cassius Marsalis Clay, age 22, defeats champion Sonny Liston in a technical knockout to win the world heavyweight boxing crown. Sonny Liston did not come out for round seven. He had been whipped too much by the young Cassius Clay. The highly anticipated match took place in Miami Beach, Florida. Cassius Clay, who later became known to the world as Muhammad Ali, went on to become the first fighter to capture the heavyweight championship title three times. Liston was, was a reserved, feared fighter, a decade older than Cassius Clay, and had been world heavyweight champ since defeating Floyd Patterson in 1962. By contrast, Cassius Clay was a mildly underdog who had won a gold medal in the light heavyweight division at the 1960 Olympics in Rome. While training for the fight, Cassius Clay, a natural self-promoter, taunted Sonny Liston and boasted to reporters that he would win by knockout. Clay came out strong during the first uh, during during the fight, using speed and footwork to his advantage against the uh, slower Sonny Liston. After the sixth round, Sonny Liston was suffering from cuts and bruises under his eyes, and an apparent uh, injured shoulder announced he couldn't continue. Cassius Clay won the match by technical knockout and then announced to the world, I am the greatest. He said, I shook up the world. I shook up the world. I'm 22 years old. I must be the greatest. I'm heavyweight champion of the world. On May 25, 1965, the two fighters met again in Lewiston, Maine for a rematch. The bout ended with a highly controversial first round knockout by Cassius Clay, who by then had become a member of the Nation of Islam and had taken a Muslim name, Muhammad Ali. Some people claim Sonny listened through the fight possibly because he was controlled by the mafia or because he feared retaliation from the black Muslim extremists. In 1967, while America was at war in Vietnam, Ali refused for religious reasons to join the army. As a result, he was convicted of draft dodging, stripped of his title, and banned from boxing for three and a half years. In 1971, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed his conviction and Ali reclaimed the heavyweight crown. On January 28, 1974, the rumble, actually, okay, that's October 30, 1974, there's a mistake there. That was October 30, 1974, the rumble in the jungle in Kinshasa, Zaire, against George Foreman. 
checked out this article from history.com. February 25th, 1964, Cassius Clay defeats Sonny Lister. Hey, you've been listening to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All of my DVD presentations are there. You can register for our online course. I'm Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. Stay tuned for Pastor Mo. You listen to 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Future of Radio. We'll talk to you, talk to you next week. Peace.